Hey guys, welcome to the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your usual host, Bobby Jones, but today we are featuring part two of Matthew Newton's interview with Daniel Myers. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Jones, and I'm so excited that you're here. The Plan B CRNA podcast is the only show made specifically for nurse anesthetists who are exploring options outside of their traditional career paths. This is the place to expand your mind and your goals as we uncover new ways to produce side income together. Join me for some honest, unscripted discussions with other CRNAs who are transforming their financial lives. This episode is brought to you by On Call Capital. On Call Capital is dedicated to educating CRNAs and other healthcare providers about investing outside of the traditional stock market. On Call Capital also provides opportunities for you, yes, you, to create passive income and generational wealth while also lowering your taxable income through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, make sure you do that right now so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. And now on with the show. Doing what you do, you have a lot of interactions with anesthesia providers and a lot of our different clinical sites. Do you have any good, interesting stories about any of them that have made you laugh or made you pull your hair out? You know, I mean, there's, oh gosh, there's, there's definitely a lot, you know, but I, I think some of the, the funnier stories is, is when you can, you know, you're having a conversation with, with a provider and then you realize there's, you know, something you have in common that you guys will end up just sort of binge talking about for, you know, a long time and you didn't expect to, to happen. Usually the, the conversation for me is when they find out I have five kids and the question becomes about like, you know, can you give me your three best parenting tips? <laughs> or, you know, how do I get my, my kid to listen or, you know, something, something, you know, funny like that. But, you know, gosh, there's so many different ones to choose from. I wouldn't even know which ones to share. <laughs> I guess. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely be hitting you up for advice on potty training. That's what we're we're currently going through right now, which has been messy. <laughs> Maybe we'll write a book. I'll have to talk my wife into it or something. But yeah, when we've got it all figured out, we'll we'll write a book. Maybe so. <laughs> so as as anesthesia providers, we get no less than ten emails a day, thirty texts, five phone calls from different locums companies and hospitals and recruiters. Yeah. Um, how do they get our information and are there any strategies that we want to decrease the rate of reach out? Yeah, you know, so in terms of how, you know, companies do it, I, I'm sure there's a plethora of, of ways. I know that the, the way in which we obtain there's information and the way in which we go about sourcing has been really nothing short of good revolutionary. I mean, I know that when I've interacted with other companies and, you know, sort of explained even just a, a small portion of our process, it's usually eye-opening to them. So, you know, I, I think where a lot of these other major companies are sort of getting information, a lot of times they're they're purchasing lists, they're they're getting trade shelves, they're they're finding information from referrals, et cetera. And so they've got a, a a large CRM database, if you will, that they're pulling all of this information from. And so in order to decrease that, you can always request to have yourself removed from any sort of communication. And legally the the company has to do that. So once you've requested and asked to be unsubscribed or opted out, if you will, from any sort of communication from that particular company, they are, they have to, to do so. So uh, there's, there's two companies out there. Funny. One, one of them actually hit me right when we were getting ready to hit record on this podcast. <laughs> and it, my, my one personal pet peeve is if you contact me, great, contact me. I let me have the ability to ignore it. 
they, what this one company does is they text you and then immediately call you, which, which tries to, okay. I know, and, and every, every time I'm like, oh my gosh, guys, I, you know, I just ignore it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've had, I had a CRNA once who wanted to show me kind of how just complex and irritating it can be from a, you know, provider standpoint when they're reaching out to companies. So he applied to a job here that no interest in actually, you know, obtaining, but just to show how annoying it can be. And I'm sitting there at the, the table and literally the recruiter called him, uh, no joke, 11 times back to back to back to back, trying to get him to answer the phone. It's like, man, after one calls enough. If he's not answering after one, he's not answering after 10, you know? So that to me was, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that's not the norm. It certainly isn't the norm here at CRH, but yeah, I mean, it's a very bizarre way in which folks go about trying to, to communicate with providers. Yeah. You know, I, I've directed my team that, you know, when, when somebody applies, we're, obviously we're very quick in trying to establish contact with them, but it's usually a, through a text or an email one time saying, Hey, we'd love to connect with you and chat with you. And then we'll wait a day or so and reach out again. And after that, you, you usually don't hear from us. We are not people who blow CRNAs up on their phones or their emails with a mailing lists. We don't do mailing lists. We don't do anything like that. We don't advertise and reach out to you every time we have an opening. You know, we're very strategic in our sourcing efforts, which is, you know, what sort of has helped us in, increase and improve our recruitment year over year for two years in a row. So, yeah, not to, not to sit there and just keep plugging how great CRH is. One of the things I like is we do have a very non-invasive recruiting method. Oh, but, yes. It, you know, even, even me working for the company, I actually still get recruited, recruitment messages from something. Well, but it's, it's usually like once a month, I'll get an email, which I'm like, oh, that's perfect. You know, you know. Yeah, I love, I love it. Like, it's something that's nice that I'm like, oh, I can ignore that. You know, occasionally yeah. I've actually called one or two of the recruiters and been like, hey, you know, I was thinking about this about your, you know, way, the way you're going. What do you, what do you think about offering something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a, you know, a training session with, with my team today. And one of the things I said is, you know, I think it's sort of an archaic way of looking from a recruiting perspective. There's, you know, sort of this, I don't know what you want to call it, an old guard way, if you will, of, of how they think recruitment should work. And that is, you know, you reach out to as many people as possible, as often as you possibly can. And at some point you'll, you, those, those outreaches will, you know, convert into hires. And, you know, that's, you know, might have worked 20 years ago, <laughs> might've been the strategy that was successful at some point, but, you know, with the way the technology has improved and advanced. And the way that, you know, sort of a, a new level of leadership is, is rising up that can come up with strategies that work. If that's the method that they're using to, to help improve recruitment and hires of their company, they're doing it completely wrong. You do not have to reach out to a, a mass number of people constantly in order to hope, in hopes that one of them will, will fight and take the job offer. You can be a lot more strategic in that. And, you know, that's not just talk, but think that, that proves out and pans out and, and the hires and the improvements that we've seen, like I said, for two years in a row here. So definitely. So, you know, with, uh, you know, like there's a recent decision from like Cigna where they're decreasing reimbursement. You know, we see staffing costs kind of on the rise and pretty much everything's been on the rise recently. You know, you doing what you do, like I said, you have a really good outlook on things for a company, for companies that are primarily CRNA driven. What does the future look like for these kind of organizations? Yeah. So. <clears throat> You know, I, I credit CRH for having a great leadership team knows how to sort of what I call see beyond the next 30 days, if you will, and, and have a long-term vision for what will be successful. So, you know, without sharing too much of the secret sauce, if you will, you know, what I will, what I will say is one area that, um, I don't mind sharing because I think it helps us all in the market and isn't, you know, sort of unique to CRH is 
going back to locums and, and working with locum agencies. And so I think if you're a CRNA only model, you're using locums in some capacity and the theory, the thought process that has been in existence for a long time now is that you will always need locums. And I think that mentality has sort of you know, creeped in and has been the, the norm across, across the market. And so the response to that from an operation standpoint is as well, because we're always going to need locums and we're not going to be able to be fully stacked where we need to be. We have to get into these agreements that are not favorable to us, that have extremely high rates, and that's just all we can do because that's the market. And what I think a lot of companies don't realize is that's the furthest thing from the truth. Not only if you have a great recruitment structure, do you not need locums long term? You can get to a place where you don't need locums. And in fact, we've done this particularly in a few of our states where when we got here, we had you know positions that had been open for well over a year, and we were able to close down all of those FTE positions in under six months. Um, and so, you know, you have to have a recruitment strategy that works, number one. But number two, you have to restructure your agreements with these locum agencies and realize that you hold the bargaining chips. It's not the other way around. You can actually say to other agencies, no, we're not going to pay that much. We want to pay this. Now go make it work. And they'll do it. But I don't think a lot of people realize that. I think they they feel like they're strapped to using some of these big locum companies and paying, you know, 220 250 280 even 300 in some places an hour for locums worth. They don't realize that there's opportunities out there for a lot less. And if you have a strategy that will shift in that thinking, if you will, then you're going to do, you're going to be, you know, set up for success long-term and not be struggling, you know, as, as these rates and costs of everything increase, as you mentioned. Well, and you talk about being able to shut down these positions that have been open for a year. That, that says a lot about your leadership ability and that, that I mean, that that's great. <laughs> We got uh, a great team, man. We got a great team. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I work closely with you pretty much on a daily basis. And I know you just wear, you wear many hats, and, but you don't just do your job and what's expected. You're one of the, you're one of the rare types of people that kind of always goes above and beyond. You're kind of looking for that project. What can I sink my teeth into? Not everybody has this unique drive like you do. My, my question is, is why do you strive? I guess for greatness, why, why are you always going above and beyond? Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that is a good question, you know, and I wish I could like really just, you know, have like this serious look and come up with this like really profound philosophical sort of answer to that because then people would be like, oh, it's so deep. I'm going to retweet that. But, you know, for me in all honesty, it's, I could not imagine any other way as, as probably as disappointing as that answer may be, I could not imagine giving less than 150%. It's, it's just not in me to do that. I, I love seeing things that are really bad become really good. There's a kick and an adrenaline high that comes from that, that could not, I could not get in any other way. Seeing things that are failing and near death, if you will, on life support, you know, being completely revived in a way that's functioning is just absolutely exciting to me. So you know, I, I guess short answer, I, I just love seeing things improve and functioning the way they're supposed to function. And for me, that's, that's what gets me up and makes me want to drive as much as possible to, to make this stuff work. And that kind of, that kind of work ethic is, is pretty rare these days. I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the, the same boat when it comes to things. I'm one of those, like my, my list is never done, but I'm, right. I'm always, how else can I help you? I mean, I know, I know it's not my task, but how can I make your life easier? Yeah. How can I, 
how can I improve these processes? And it just, it really is. It, it's just a, it's a shot of adrenaline. It just feels so good to walk into something. Yeah. It took 15 steps before. If you can bring it down to 10 and make it more efficient, it just, it just feels great. It, it's a yeah. feeling of satisfaction. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> so one of my other big questions I always like to ask people is in life, career, finances, anything and everything, what's your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Hmm. So this will be somewhat, you know, oh man, my biggest failure. <laughs> so, you know, I, I would say professionally speaking, it, it would be, uh, you know, I mean, I've definitely made my fair share of mistakes for sure. You know, and I, I think we all do as we're learning and life is all about learning. Right. So, I mean, you know, I, if, if I could narrow it down to one that probably sticks out to me as being pivotal, it would be, you know, letting things affect me that should easily just be let go. I, I am by my own definition of perfectionist. I wish I wasn't. I like to say that I'm not, uh, but it's true. And so I think for me, the biggest failure would be probably letting things affect me and not being collaborative enough. I think, you know, not getting other people involved and hearing other perspectives when there could be alternative ways of looking at things. You know, there's examples that I could give that sort of back up that thought, you know, that, that, answer. But uh, yeah, I, I would say what I have learned in my failures professionally is that, you know, you don't have it all figured out, but what you do know and what you're confident in, put it forward because it's going to help make things better. And the areas where you're, where you don't know, be honest and open and say, ah, I don't know. And let's, let's, let's hear from somebody. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I think that's probably the, the biggest takeaway for me that I've learned is it's okay to not be the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> I, I always say the dumber I get, the smarter I really, or the, I get the dumber I realize I really, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think it's yeah. funny about how outside, you know, things can influence you and affect you. You know, what was it? The, the great band Wilder said, what is it? Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. Wow. Good. That's good. Yeah. I've heard that one. Yeah. Okay. So, so last and most important, I guess, what actions are you currently doing to better your mind and body? Is there anything that you would recommend to listeners to decompress or to offer a, a bit of self-improvement? Take, take time, <laughs> take personal time, you know, and I, I think, I think it's, I, I say that kind of jokingly, but I'm, I'm serious. You know, I, I can count on one hand, how many weeks of PTO I've taken over the last seven years. I'm just being completely honest with you. And. I'm just not somebody who typically does it, you know, even when we had new additions. I mean, the only times I've taken PTO is usually a week or two off when we, you know, welcome a new baby into the world. <laughs> and that's about it. You know, part of that, I, I usually joke with, with my employers and coworkers that I don't take PTO because where can we put all seven of our family members in a, in a van and travel without chaos to a hotel? But the reality is, is, uh, you know, I just am sometimes can be kind of a workaholic in that sense. And what I've learned is, you know, up to this point, it's not really affected me, at least that I could tell negatively, but the the more I grow in my career and the more my responsibilities increase, the more I realize it is so important to have that personal time. And so, you know, to, to help with your mental state and to just help avoid burnout is you've got to be able to, you don't have to be the superhero. You know, you can take some time and say, I really need to just take a, a week and just completely unplug from social media and from work and responsibilities and just go somewhere with you and the family and just, you know, have some fun. To me, that might seem simple and maybe others are doing that already. But for me, it's, it's been a huge eye-opener for me that I definitely need to do that. I want to better myself mentally and physically. 
the whole the whole package. So that very well said. You know, we we get so busy taking care of our patients that we often neglect ourselves. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing. You know, I I definitely don't take enough time for myself on vacation. I, I I make conscious efforts to do it, but you know, it's, it often gets it's hard. It's, it is. It's almost it's it's a work to to not work. You, <laughs> you know, it's, it is a work to not work. You have to work yourself to a point, you know, where you're like, I've got to, I, I have to do, I have to take this time. And it is really, really hard for if you're wired like you and I, it's very hard to do. But in the long run, I've learned that it is very, very important. So, well, this has been a great conversation. And I'm sure our listeners are really going to take a lot out of it. So, it, you know, with, for all the anesthesia providers listening, Daniel manages over 18 states worth of providers for anesthesia. If anybody, what, what's the best way for CRNAs or any, any anesthesia providers to reach you, maybe even apply for a job for CRA? Yeah. You know, you can, you can definitely, you know, email us at jobs at crhanesthesia.com. I'll even put my own phone number out there because it's out there in just about every site that you can think of anyway, in terms of the market. So, you know, 865-773-8131 is my personal cell. If I don't answer, leave a voicemail, I'll always give you a call back. So uh, those are probably the two easiest ways of getting in touch with us to talk about jobs and growth, et cetera. So. Excellent. Well. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been absolutely amazing and very informative. It's been great having you. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Daniel acknowledged early on in his career that others saw in him certain things that he just didn't see in himself yet. And that kind of guidance is so critical. And good leaders can help make an organization that much richer. When you have great employee development, you can focus on the higher level things like improving your processes instead of trying to do everything yourself. Now, as far as trends in healthcare go, it's obvious that things are changing. Demand and compensation for advanced practice providers has gone up across the board. Locum's assignments have become more prevalent, and many new providers are incredibly willing to move around. Daniel had some great tips for talking with recruiters, no matter what kind of job you're actually looking for. And I also agree with Daniel in that with any job, it's important for us to take time away for ourselves. Not only does that help us to recharge, but it can also help us to approach challenging things from a different angle. That's going to do it for our show. If you'd like to learn more about Daniel and CRH Anesthesia, make sure you check out the show notes for that contact info. This is Bobby Jones signing off. Until next time, stay safe and take care of each other out there. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. If you haven't already subscribed and reviewed the show, I'd be honored if you took the extra time. It really helps to expand our reach and get the word out about the show. If you're a CRNA who is interested in sharing your story on our podcast, I'd love to have you. Please email me at bobby at oncallinvestments.com for more information. This episode was brought to you by On Call Capital. They are dedicated to helping providers like you develop passive income and generational wealth through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. Feel free to check out their website at www.oncallinvestments.com and subscribe to their free educational email series. You can find On Call Capital on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also check out our YouTube page, where you'll find all of the show episodes along with other educational videos. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.